Peace be upon you, brothers and sisters. Please pray with me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Meld me, mold me, use me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. past week, our president went in front of a burnt-out church, the Church of Presidents, and held a Bible for what was seen by many as a photo op. Now, for a group of Americans, that action was a bold act of defiance, of grit, that said this president was going to stand on them, on their side. That this president was going to be one to protect their, what they considered their civil liberty or their right to um, freedom of religion. This morning, I had a friend of mine post that picture, and then as a comment, he said, quote, This man is more of a man of God than most preachers I know. Now, I wasn't the only minister who responded to him, requesting an opportunity to talk about that comment preferably not on Facebook. So for some, this act was an act of bold defiance. For others, it was very different. For many of my colleagues, the word that came up again and again and again and again was one of a word of offense that they felt he offended them. Yo. When I was thinking about that picture, I found myself in a very different place. I wasn't, while I was not happy with it, I also could see why he was doing what he was doing and how that's kind of where I would have expected him to be.
And so when I looked at that picture, something occurred to me. How hard it is to read scripture. How hard is it to engage the words on the page? It's not comfortable to read this text. I don't care what political party or what religious community you are a part of. If this text, if the Bible doesn't challenge you in some ways, then you're not really reading it. Too often, I have gone to visit um, parishioners, maybe parishioners who are very active in the community at their house, and it's always interesting to see where the Bible is. Is it nicely shelved on, in a bookcase, maybe in a place of prominence in the house? Or is it on the, the end stand? Does it show that the person has actually been reading it recently? Or does it show that it hasn't been used? There's a real challenge in reading the Bible. A real challenge. Now, as a person who has dyslexia, I understand that. It takes me a long time to read this thing. But I would submit to you that it isn't just them. It isn't just us who have challenges reading this text. Yeah, I would argue at the core of this, if we are to read the text, if we are to be troubled, if we are to find hope, even, in this text, it requires us to read it in a way that we come to understand, that we come to sense a meaningful conversation. A meaningful conversation with God. This past week, as I've watched the events take place, as I watched the protest, as I watched the riots, as I watched the looting, as all of this has been scrolling in front of my eyes, there is an experience that will probably kind of capture my memory. A gentleman came to our house. He's starting a snowplow company. And he was talking to me about making sure that his bid got in time for this upcoming year. I reassured him that I would be giving the information to our um, homeowners board and that that would happen but after we had done our little business he looked at me and he said man have you gone to the cities recently to which I said yes my mother had just been there 
for um, some basic shots that she gets to help with her pain. He said, I don't understand why someone would burn down someone's business. And I said, I don't think there are easy answers to that. That moment when I said that phrase, that pushed me back 20 years. 20 years ago, in the summer actually, I was working as a chaplain in a hospital in Toledo, Ohio. And I was on the Sunday call. And that Sunday, a trauma came into our ER which is not uncommon, but this was unusual. What happened was, was there was a group of men, black men, who had stolen a car. And they decided to go for a joyride. And they were driving the wrong way on a one-way street, I believe. And the cops were chasing them. Well, as they were chasing them, they T-boned another couple who was coming back from church. So, because all the victims of that accident were coming to our ER, we had both the families of the people who had caused the accident and the people who were the victims of the accident. All of them were African-American. All of them were black. The thing I remember most about that whole experience, trying to keep these, these families apart and giving them space to grieve and come to understand what was going on, and what could be expected. I remember there was this woman who was probably not much older than I. She was in a wheelchair, although I could tell that she was capable of, you know, she was not incapacitated because of a disability. She was sitting there I believe because she had fainted. And I guess she must have seen my um, name badge, Robert Hamilton Chaplin. And she said, she looked up at me and she said, why? Why would God do this? I remember looking down at her and saying, you know, I've spent four years studying religion, studying scripture. I don't have an easy answer for you. If I could replay that moment in time, the thing I would probably add on to it is I, however, in that time of studying, reading, doing ministry, Believe there are answers, and I will faithfully walk as long as you will let me 
with you to try to find those answers. You see, often we as pastors are people who are told we're seen as the why guys. Why did this happen? Why did I lose my job? Why do we see the violence in the world? Why is my beloved dying? Why did I lose my job? All these things. And in the midst of it, what I come away realizing, it isn't so much the answers we give them. That very seldom works. Moreover, giving them a space to breathe, giving them a sense of the ability that there is something beyond that they can live into, is crucial in them answering that question. And so it was true for those two would-be disciples who we read about today. As they journeyed on their road to Emmaus. And as they're going from Jerusalem to Emmaus, they stop and they see this stranger. We know that's, of course, Jesus Christ, but to them, it's just another guy. In that, he asked an interesting question. What are you discussing with one another? I think this is the first step in trying to make sense of that why question, in trying to make sense of a meaningful conversation, to create meaning, is to understand the why. And the first way you do that is by asking what happened. Now, this is often more challenging than we expect. All we need to do is look back at this past week. We've all, we all have access to that video. We know what happened. But how we make sense of it may be very different. And so the two would-be disciples explain about the loss of their leader. How this was a mighty, mighty prophet who was, they believed, the one to redeem Israel. He spoke truth. He spoke justice. He spoke peace. But, like all those who are in power, all those who want to maintain that power. They saw his ministry, his sermon, his understanding as a threat, a clear threat. 
And so they did what everyone in power. They took him off to the table. And so he unfortunately became one of those peculiar fruits hanging from the tree. He became one of those strange fruits hanging from a tree. Although this tree were two pieces of wood. Then they tell about the resurrection. What we come to know as the good news. But to them it was the bad news. It was the news of their day. Then Jesus does something interesting. He acknowledges their feelings in some way, I believe. But he also challenges them to see beyond. And this leads into what I think is the second part of trying to create meaning or trying to come to a solution about or come up with answers to the why question. And what he does is he takes scripture on one hand, and he takes the news of the day, and he builds a relationship between them. And I fundamentally believe in doing that, he becomes that bridge. He begins to teach them that the Messiah should suffer, has to suffer, that he had to die so that he would be the one to redeem Israel. And so that second part is about coming to understand how the wisdom of our faith is also reflected in the realities we know. And while wisdom may feel good, the reality we may know may not, that doesn't mean God can't use it to help to fulfill God's end. Here's where I get really involved in the scripture. This is where my imagination kind of kicks in. Because I have been in those types of conversations with people. To be honest with you, it's been those types of conversations that called me, was my first sense of my call into ministry. Having the opportunity to sit in a cafeteria at Muskingum College and to be the ones closing down the cafeteria because we were having conversations about things that were going on. That inspired me to want to talk to people, to communicate the truths that they were seeing and the truths of what we know about the world. And there is a moment in time, if you've ever had a conversation like that, that you lose a sense of time itself. It feels like only a few minutes have gone by, and yet it's been an hour or so. 
Those are thin moments in my theology. Those are moments when I feel as if God's hand is present with us. And so what do they do? They ask the stranger, still a stranger, to have a meal with them, to break bread. It's interesting, in that moment, I don't think we often realize what's going on. Over time, I've come to realize that a lot about our culture is found in the meals we have. This is a great truth that people like Anthony Bourdain have taught me. To understand a culture, you have to sit and have a meal with them. No, it's true with my daughter. I can tell a lot about who are her friends by who she sits with at lunch. I also understand something, that these practices of eating are core to our religion, to our politics, to our business to have a business dinner, to go to a political dinner. Even at the core of our religion is communion, the Last Supper. It's in these spaces that we build, build culture. It is in these spaces that we share with one another. This is the profound truth of this text. That that third and final stage of developing meaning is about then acting out of the wisdom we have learned from the experiences we have had and building community out of it. Now, this is the fascinating thing about this whole piece of the text. Immediately as when Jesus is seen as having, is seen as being there, as being present, he disappears. But the thing is, is in his vanishing, something happens. It isn't a loss. Moreover, the two would-be disciples say, were our hearts not burning within us when he was opening up the scripture? And then what happens is they go back to the beginning. They go back to Jerusalem, and they share with those who were in Jerusalem about what had happened. You know, brothers and sisters, this is the challenge that is laid in front of us. How do we make meaning of these past few weeks? Now, I don't know the answer, but I do know something, that if we are to make meaning, and I hope we do. I hope the losses that we have felt might make some sense 
if we can live into something that is so much better than the systemic power struggles that we have. I hope that we can see the losses of this past week and use them as an ability to see the injustice and the evil that is within our land. And that we can take significant reforms to become a better place. A place where God might actually be able to live. Today, I give a solemn vow to whoever is watching this. I don't know how long I will live, but from this day on, I commit myself and I reaffirm something deep about who and whose I am, that I am committed to being there for people as they go through that process of trying to create meaning out of really bad situations. And I hope we as a community of faith might also be able to do that. Might be also able to share with one another the hard stories and the happy stories. That we might come to understand more clearly God's presence with us by taking scripture and understanding how they relate to our experience. And that in that understanding, we can act out of it to build a new community, not so much a new community, but a better community, a community which affirms each another right to exist, that affirms at its core that it is life and a life most abundant that is the canon upon which we should judge what is a just society, I pray, brothers and sisters in Christ, that you might join me too. May it be so for us. Amen, amen, amen.